Hey, welcome back to another episode of Not All at Once. I'm Jordan Guess. And I'm Kendall Y. Hey, we are on episode 26. Welcome back to everyone, anyone listening. And uh, we are recording again a little bit early, or I'm sorry, a little bit late. <laughs> so uh, it is September 4th, Sunday. It's about 1 p.m., almost 1 p.m. Eastern time, almost 6 p.m. where I'm at in London, but we are doing it, continuing the uh, the podcast from anywhere saga. So, That's right. You are somewhere in Europe, right? Yep. Since we last talked, I think, um, I think we we're. In, I was in Iceland the last time, so I've been to Norway, Scotland, and now I'm um, settled in London for a few days. So just got here today. It's been good so far. You uh, you went to Scotland. Oh yeah, we, we went to yeah the first. Oh, let me think. I know the second stop was Edinburgh. Um. And then this, the, well, that was the second stop. The first stop, oh, let me think about it for a second. It'll come to me. But yeah, there was the sec, or I'm sorry, it was the, um, it was Kirkwall. That's what it was. Kirkwall, kind of like up in the islands. It was, there's like a collection of islands that are above um, main Scotland, mainland Scotland, I guess. Because Scotland's really just a part of the UK um, on the north side. So if, if for anybody who didn't know, I did not know. I'm learning a lot on this trip. Yeah, Scotland is a. Uh, I've never been, but there's a lot of history from Scotland. I think my understanding is a lot of the American founding fathers, like a lot of the philosophy that went that backed a lot of the beliefs of the American founding fathers, were from Scottish philosophers. Hmm. Well, fun fact. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, sadly in Scotland, I kind of had to work both of the days, work slash study. Um, so I didn't see a ton of stuff other than just like the coffee shops I was in. But um, I did. There was one group um, from our ship who went to St Andrews, which apparently is the first golf course ever in the whole world. At least that's what my little brother told me. So fact check, Parker. Um, but um, yeah, I'll have to look into more about Scotland. I. You know, these cruise stops, you just get maybe you might get eight hours there. Like that's the most. And then some of them were closer to like five or six hours. So, and I think this, I can't remember. It was either Norway or Scotland were kind of short. So anyways, but it's been good. It's definitely the the cruise, not a big cruise guy, but have gotten to see a lot of places um, via that trip. So that was cool. And then... And then there's one other piece, which I don't know. I know we're going to start out with Fediments, but it is there just for Raven and I were talking about it while we were walking around London today. You know, everyone, it seems like a lot of people in the U.S. kind of have this idea that every other place, especially in Europe, is much better than the United States, like on all fronts. Um, so anyways, I will just come out and say the grass is not always greener. So in edinburgh right now they're having a bin worker strike um, which essentially the the people who are supposed to like empty the trash i guess like empty all the bags of trash and collect them and take them to the centralized spot they're all striking right now so edinburgh really was it was very dirty i mean there was trash everywhere um 
So, and then it's, and then right now there's a ton of strikes that are happening in, uh, in England as well. So we were talking to our transfer driver about trying to go take a train up to Oxford tomorrow. And she was like, well, just make sure because a lot of the rail workers have been striking, um, just make sure that they're not striking tomorrow so that you can, uh, actually take the train. So, um, anyways, we can get into that a little bit more, but I just thought when we were talking about Scotland, I wanted to bring that up real quick. Well, that's that, interesting. Yeah. It's, yeah. uh, um, I kind of had this thought earlier today, actually, where it's like, I wonder if most, I wonder if like this can be explained by like the, the European continent was really powerful. Like, let's say between the years 1700 to 1900 or 1950, maybe. So there's mm-hmm. like a 200 yeah. to 250 year period where the European continent like ruled the world basically. Right. Like, right. The sun never sets on the British Empire, um, and by the way, prior to that, it was it was the Dutch. Um, so it's like I wonder if this can be explained by like there's just like a natural progression the last like 200 250 years, and um, like Europe, the European power hegemony is like imploding, and it's sort of pivoting over to the u.s but then like my thought process was like hmm okay well that'll that means that it'll happen one day in the u.s so does that mean that (laughs) does that mean that i have to basically convince my grandchildren to move to south america right yeah yeah or um, africa yeah i'm kind of bullish on south america in the long term because there's just like so much natural resources abundance there that, yeah. Uh, and like, yeah, I think, I think South America is the place to watch. Okay. In terms of growth. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's definitely very interesting. And then, you know, they've had, um, at least the UK has had all this issue with, um, with their prime minister stuff with Boris Johnson. Sounds like, uh, he's had quite a few scandals. Um, and then, he had to end up stepping down and then actually tomorrow, Monday, the fifth, um, a new prime minister prime minister will be announced. It's either Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak. Um, and sounds like it's almost, um, certain that it's going to be Liz Truss. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. I actually want to, let's do Fetty Mint last. Cause now, now you've kind of got me going on the European front. <laughs> Um, yeah, I want to do like a market sort of update. And then, um, Mm -hmm. I was actually going to get your opinions. Did you, if you watched that Biden speech, did you watch Biden's speech or see anything about that? Uh, I saw a lot of memes, (laughs) um, and I caught, I caught, you know, the general gist of it. Um, and then I saw the zoomed out version, which doesn't look nearly as bad, but um the images going around the internet looked pretty bad <laughs> yeah so, i actually and then, I, and then like bar barstool sports guy you know he he had his take which is always uh always you know a funny a funny watch so yeah i i, uh, I did catch it. it it is interesting i mean yeah i'm i'm definitely willing to talk about that and hear hear, hear your thoughts on it well, I didn't. I didn't watch it either. I just basically have the same exposure you do, which is I watched the memes. 
Um, it's definitely a poor, poor look. I mean, the the like what? Who who designed the set? Okay, who who put like the red curtains in the back? <laughs> like, I don't know. They probably could have done this a little bit better. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it is, you got to be fair. If you do zoom out, there is like blue, there's blue on each side, like blue, big blue oh, banners okay. that are lit right. up. Right. But, um, but what all that was caught to your point though, like all that was caught on the actual, like televised, um, you know, frame is Biden with the red dark lit red thing behind him, you know, the drapery. And then those two like, um, Marines or whatever. But they don't even look like Marines. They look like they're so dark and poorly lit that it's like they look like they're going to come kill you if you disagree with him. So <laughs> it's like sad to say, but you you do really have to you do really have to consider out of context, like um, oh, you know, visual. Well, you got to think. There's, I mean, what large percentage of people? in the United States and all around the world don't really dig too far into anything. They see a couple images, totally. whether it's memes or just something on, you know, the news one night or they see a headline, right. And they just read the headline. And uh, if you see that image, I mean, the image that's going around where he's got his fist up and he looks so mad, <laughs> that's, you know, I'm talking, you know, you know what I'm talking yeah, about, right? It is so bad. I mean, that's so the bad. image, dude. And it, I mean, you just handed you just handed the Republicans um, pretty much all they needed in terms of uh, political ads for for 24. Right. I mean, yeah. So, Every conspiracy theory Republican who thinks that like Biden is actually an evil dictator, communist guy. <laughs> you just gave them the imagery that they needed. Yeah, so. that's what that's the part that I don't understand. So. So Ben Hunt, which we've uh, referenced his work on numerous occasions on this podcast, he tweeted mm. he tweeted out, um, I think pretty much everything Biden said about the MAGA political movement was spot on. I also think what Biden said will dramatically accelerate the timetable for a constitutional crisis and American political collapse. I think that, that roughly sums up my opinions as well, which is like, mm -hmm. I don't really understand, you know, like the the idiocy and the irrationality of the far right maga people is like very uh abundantly clear and like it's very obvious to the public that it's a total disaster ideologically but then so the part that i don't understand is <laughs> it's like i feel like biden was elected as a centrist and like a, there's been like a lot of moves like this where it's like he is like just like widening, like intentionally widening, widening the Overton window, right? And it's like, I don't know if that's the correct move. No, he's narrow narrowing it actually. Okay, well, narrow. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. No, well, I think. Well, you heard. You've definitely heard the stories of Democrats who have actually funded the Trump-backed primary candidate in hopes to actually pushing them through on the Republican side. Because they believe they have, it's a much easier win for them to beat a Trump Republican um, versus a uh, you know more like Romney type Republican. I don't right. know if you've heard about that. It, I, it, ha it happened in Pennsylvania, I think, and maybe a few other races this you know this year. I did hear that. That is pretty pretty insane. 
they're yeah, essentially they're I mean, esen- go ahead Sorry. they're essentially like they're funding the idiocy with the intention of it being an obvious win mm-hmm. right and it's like well that's a very dangerous game i don't know if that's like like you're well, kind of playing that you're game playing in, with in 2016 yeah <laughs> they played that game in 2016 and then look what they got they're doubling uh, down one, one really uh scary take i would say that i heard was essentially that um and this might be the most uh i don't know what the word is like cynical take i guess yeah um is that essentially this is a signal that they are going to indict trump and that mm. they are pretty much um almost like trying to get more chaos like january 6th to ensue so that they can then point right back to those people and say see see what you know these people are insane but it's but it's partially because the political temperature was turned up to the absolute max um over all the stuff that they're doing with the justice department right now so yeah it's a- and again some of the stuff it sounds like from the stuff i'm reading on the new york times it's like it sounds like how he handled documents post presidency is is out of the norm which you know that's trump is always out of the norm so i believe that but right. it's always one of these things of like you know how much are you willing to um how far are you willing to go down that path before you know you rile people up enough because obviously people love trump i mean there are a lot of people right there's like how many ever millions of people who voted for him so it, it just yeah it doesn't seem it's definitely not a unity message which is all i thought was what we were promised yeah um, right right so you, you're a barry weiss follower right did you listen to her episode like two weeks ago with bill barr no i saw some i saw some stuff about it on twitter um but no i did not listen to it oh man it was really good i listened to it it was he was um, saying he was saying that it, this was warranted because Trump was pretty much just like egging them on more or less by not complying. Is that right? Generally? Yeah. I saw I, some headlines about it. Yeah. I I gotta say, I don't know anything about Bill Barr. I didn't know anything about him prior to, I knew he was like the AG and I knew it was like contentious, contentious politically, especially people on the left wanted to, you know, he's a pretty staunch Republican, but, but, mm-hmm. it, but it was, it was actually pretty, like, it was like a pretty enlightening conversation because bill barr actually strikes me as extremely sophisticated and um, the glasses yeah like i think that the (laughs) what was uh well that's the thing like what was my my like public naive perception of him versus like what i heard in that interview were like very different and i was like oh wow this guy is actually i mean he's just a person like the rest of us but um, like one of the things that struck out to me in that conversation, this is what I find curious, is he openly says that Trump is um, a terrible leader and borderline like, um, I don't know, insane. Like he, he tells the story of how like Trump would regularly have meetings with people, you know, like high up officials and they would tell him things that he didn't want to hear. And he would like slam the table with two fists and like curse at them at the top of his lungs. 
And like that image is just ins absolutely insane to me. So, so here, here's Bill Barr telling that, you know, firsthand accounts of, of this man. And yet Barry asked him, you know, like if it's, if it's Trump versus one of these like very left uh, political people in 2024, who are you going to vote for? And he basically said, I'll vote for Trump. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, there's this huge cognitive distance where he's like, cl clearly Trump is like insane, but he's like, but he's saying like, but it's not, it's basically, he's saying it's not as insane as what's going on on the left. And that's, that's like a, I find that curious, you know? Yeah. Well, I, it's, it, I think it's a global vacuum of, we just don't have leadership anywhere you look on the globe from a government um, level. And yeah, Trump was and is a terrible leader. Um, and Biden, I mean, I, I have not been impressed, I guess, to say the least with his with his leadership so far. So like I really it's hard to point to anybody in the po political realm as a good leader. Um, it gets a little bit easier maybe when you go out to like more corporate or more. Um, I don't know, like um, like there's some podcasters like Barry Weiss. There's, you know, some uh, journalists that I really respect Barry being very high on that list. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, a lot of those people either are very <laughs> tied up with a job or they're very, you know, they're just, they can only reach so many people. Whereas you need the leadership to come from politicians because their voice is heard among the masses um, and taken really seriously. Right. And so, or at least, I don't know, maybe used to, I, I, who knows? So it's, it's a void. And I don't know there, like, there's no, to me, I'm not relying on the government to come in and fill that void because I look out to 2024 and I don't see really any, I just see more political pandering on both sides. So it's a very sad state, but yeah. yeah. And then in Europe, I mean, yeah, in Europe, it sounds like it's, it's just more of the same, you know, it's just, um, it sounded like, you know, with, we talked a little bit about Brexit with our driver who's pretty well informed and uh, she had some interesting, you know, just some interesting thoughts as like just a normal everyday um, British person. So uh, but it sounded like, you know, Boris Johnson, it sounds like he has a lot of tendencies like Trump, um, mm -hmm. which I know I've heard before, but I hearing it firsthand was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And hearing some examples of like him, like definitely doing things wrong and then him lying about it and then him convincing himself that he didn't do anything wrong. Right. Um, and so, um, so anyways, it, to me though, it's just a lack of leadership. We just don't, there's nowhere where you have adequate leadership. And so people are going to suffer and it's, it's really sad. And it's the hardest part is like, it's just now starting, you know, the strikes here, you know, that my understanding is like, it's not like those people are getting paid or, you know, their unions are just trying to limp along until they can negotiate a deal. Right. With, um, with the employers. So, it's just like a difficult situation. And she was telling me, she was like, you know, a lot of people, they support the bin workers strike, but they also don't like the fact that the cities are all filled with trash. So it's kind of this, you know, 
yes, they should get paid more. Um, but it's also a complicated situation because I need someone to take my trash out from outside of my house. <laughs> so, mm. yeah. Yeah. It's a weird volatile world we live in right now. Um, the, the other things about, so the two things happened in Europe this week that were <laughs> worth mentioning. So on like Tuesday, I think it was this past week, the price, the base base load price of natural gas in Europe, like went parabolic, like it went crazy high, crazy high. Then come Friday, um, the, I don't know who it was, some political agency, European Union or somebody in Europe announced they were going to put price caps on Russian oil right and a russian energy and then literally six hours later we uh the russians were like oh look at this there's a there's a leak in the Nord stream 2 pipeline and we're gonna have to shut it down and their messaging was basically like we're not gonna reopen it (laughs) so so you have like i think my my thesis here is that like what we saw early in the week in the price action of natural gas, somebody, people knew that what was going to happen. And, um, you functionally have Russian, you know, the Russians cutting, cutting Europe off from their energy, energy stream. Um, and that's a big deal, but yeah, I did, I did listen to, there was a Twitter spaces with, uh, Doomberg, Luke Groman and Mark, uh, uh, Popic, I think his name is, and Marco Popic. And, um, you know, I think that it's easy to look at the, here's my, here's what I'll say. It's easy to look at like the Europe, the European energy situation and be, and think like, oh my gosh, this is a disaster. It's going to cause a depression and blah, blah, blah. Well, I think it's true. It's going to be very, very rough. And Europeans are, are, they are like really playing with fire here. Um, I think it's easy to get caught up in the doom loop and it, um, you know, don't be surprised if a depression doesn't hit Europe. I think it's my, is the thing I'll say, Hmm. but uh, who is going to come in and save the day though? Well, here's the The thing. Supply has to come from somewhere, right? Is it coming? I've heard that it's being circumvented through China. That's what I saw on uh, Twitter somewhere in the past week or so, that essentially China is buying up Russian oil and then able to resell it um, and essentially bypass the sanctions. Yeah, same with India. There's reports of it going to India and then basically to Europe after that. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, like, I'm not an expert on this whatsoever, but there's a couple thoughts I have, like... Um, like ultimately it's a very risky, risky bet to say that energy prices are going to go up because time and time throughout history, uh, that just doesn't happen when people think it's going to happen. Um, so like, I'm just like somewhat cautious about this because Mm -hmm. there could be 
somebody could have an ace up their sleeve is what I'm saying. Um, but, you know, I think, I think basically the pragmatically, the thing to that is risky is, is the price action. And what could happen is, you know, you know, Europe, like, like I started off this podcast saying Europe had like 200, 300 years of global dominance. So the overall capital reserves of Europe are still quite significant. Europe is probably still the wealthiest place in the world. Um, you know, maybe, maybe the United States is more wealthy. It's hard to judge these things like what is wealth, but mm -hmm. my point is, is that Europe still has a tremendous amount of momentum from several centuries of global dominance. So the point is, is that they can afford higher prices, like, and they're going to, they're basically saying we're, we're going to pay them. We're, we're willing to see. And what happens is you'll see capital outflows out of Europe. So their overall balance sheet will get worse. Yeah. Um, and what that means in the real world is that emerging markets where they're, you know, not wealthy and they depend on low energy prices, that's where all the chaos ensues. And so, um, that's, that's like the, like the, the thing I, I'm increasingly seeing is like, actually in Europe, it'll be bad, but it won't be like, it may not be this catastrophic event that people are sort of picturing because they can swallow the prices. The catastrophic events may occur in the emerging markets, but yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Knows? I mean, yeah. yeah, it's, it's very hard to say. Um, I definitely would rather be in America though than than in Europe right now. You know, like living wise. <laughs> I was about to say I'm okay. you're, you're I'm, literally in I'm Europe. <laughs> I'm okay to be here for a little bit, but uh um no, it just doesn't seem I think they're eventually going to have to to bend the knee to to some of the worst actors um in order to save themselves. So, in terms of like global actors. But because I just can't see either they have to bring the demand down, which then, you know, turns into a spiral of crippling their own economy. Um, or they have to flood with flood the energy market with with supply. And I, I'm just I'm just missing where that comes from. So, well, um, enough of it. The the uh, the other thing that this guy, Marco Popic, made the, the point that he made in that Twitter spaces is. Um, and I'll actually link the Twitter spaces in the show notes because I think it's so good. Um, cool. He, uh, he made the point, which is that, you know, historically Europe has been quite a fragmented place, right? It's not like a, it's not the United States where you have like a single federal government and a bunch of states. It's, um, you know, every country is their own sovereign. Mm -hmm. And his, his take was, you know, it's easy to be uh, cautious of the doom loop here. He's like, but what will probably end up happening here is this will further reinforce like European unification. And so it will further progress like a sort of federal type of government over the European Union or sorry, the Europe continent. You know, like the European mm -hmm. Union is a... Uh, fiscal what do you call it like fiscal organization over europe the continent so you may see you know like 
five, 10 years out, that will continue to grow uh, relevancy. And like, but that's like, <clears throat> I don't know. There's like a ton of unknowns with that because see the problem with that is then is that what happens is the, the wealthy countries end up paying for the poor countries. And then that causes all sorts of like political unrest. So like what will happen is we've already seen this this year. The Italian bond market is in like total disarray. disarray. It's like crashing. And functionally what's happening is the European Union is backstopping it through Germany. Germany is basically paying, like bailing out Italy, right? Um, and so you'll you like that's the that's the struggle with this is that you know can you get political coherence across the entire European continent such that a, like a unified government can exist and like because I don't know I mean it's it's understandable to be skeptical of that because it's never happened before and furthermore <laughs> we've we've this time is different yeah this time is different and then like furthermore <laughs> you know like Brexit was just like three, two or three years ago or however long it was ago. So it's like, you, you actually have seen in recent history, you've seen the inverse happening. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Like to me, there's only so, there's only so much physical stuff out there. Right. And then, and you know, the playbook has been Germany and wealthier countries bail out the other EU countries that are um, needing help. Greece being, you know, not that long ago, maybe 2015 or 16, I think that they defaulted where the EU had to step in and, you know, to like the whole, the hard money crowd and Bitcoiners, it's like that can only go on for so long, um, you know, before pretty much it all dries up and there's not enough, there's just not enough like actual either, because um, you got to think there's no, you got to keep your, your citizens um happy with the decisions right and it's even happened in america where there's a lot of americans today who are like why are we helping why are we doing stuff for other countries we have problems of our own at home and i can just hear europeans in their own countries saying that you know why are we helping out this country that was irresponsible with you know their bond market or with uh different assets on their balance sheets and we have our own issues kind of thing and I could very easily seeing, see it um, becoming like a tribal thing of, no, we pretty much everyone just trying to protect themselves instead of reaching out the hand. Because at a certain point, there's not, um, there's just not enough resources to go around. So, but we'll see. I mean, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think it's going to be what, like maybe a five to 10 year kind of, or do you think it'd be quicker um, in terms of like the timeline of seeing all this stuff kind of play out? Well, I don't know. See, it's like, yeah, I don't Come know. Come on, Kendall. Who knows, dude? I have no <laughs> idea. I'm just like some <laughs> random guy from Kentucky who's like voicing his opinions as if he knows something. I have no idea what these, how these things work. Yeah. I mean, that's always got to be said. Everything's very, very complex and everyone is trying to act in their own interest secretly. But then also, you know, it's like any negotiation. You're trying to make the other guy think that he's getting a better deal than you, but you really want a better deal for yourself. Right. So, yeah. So anyways, well, we can, let's move on to Fediment because I, 
I really want to hear some thoughts about this. I know that this was just announced maybe two or three weeks ago. It's a Bitcoin related product or a product built on top of Bitcoin. So maybe give us, if you're cool with us transitioning, yeah, let's give do us it. Yeah. A, yeah, yeah. an overview of, of what is Fediment. It's spelled F-E-D-I-M-I-N-T-S. Yeah. So I'll link it. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, well, so Fediment has actually been out for, for a while. Okay. Um, so let's take this from the beginning. Um, so in the, in the Bitcoin and crypto world, there's a, you know, there's like a saying, which is not your keys, not your coins. So people take, um, people take a lot of pride in having bearer ownership over their crypto assets versus like, you know, with a bank, if you have a bank in the traditional finance system, like, you know, do you have digital bearer ownership over your bank deposits? Not really. You have physical bearer ownership over cash, but not over your digital bank deposits. So cash is a liability in and of itself. That's right. So, um, but the problem with not your keys, not your coins is it's actually quite like um, challenging to to take physical custody of your of your Bitcoin. It's like you kind of got to have a little bit of technical chops to figure out how to do it. You know, like your grandma couldn't do it. Right. Right. Um, so there's just like this inherent issue. And this is like from a from an information theory standpoint, right? Like it's not like a, it's not like an operational challenge. It's like information theory, just due to the, the way cryptography works. You kind of need like, it's, it doesn't scale to the masses to, for people to always have self-custody. And that's um, been true of like, to my knowledge of every bearer asset out there, right? I mean, going back to gold. Oh, so totally. Sent, you know, yeah, like who really wanted to keep their gold in their own possession? They wanted to outsource that. They wanted to outsource it. And same with like, even if you think of today, like the, like the art market, there's like a giant art market. Most of it's like on the black market. Right. But, um, people don't, it's not like people keep their $60 million Van Gogh in their house. Like mm -hmm. they keep it like with a specific custodian. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, to your point, it's uh it's always been difficult to to make. So the, yeah, there's just like a there's like a cosmic brain issue here, which is like it's <laughs> difficult to scale self custody. So what's interesting about so I I'm gonna cut straight to the chase. Like I think Fetty is the third major Bitcoin innovation. So the first innovation is Bitcoin itself, which is a uh peer-to-peer -peer store of value cash-like instrument. The second uh, innovation was the Lightning Network. The Lightning Network solves payments. And then this third innovation is Fediment. And Fediment solves the custody problem. So you had the store of value problem solved. Okay. Then you have the payments problem solved. Okay. And now you have the custody problem solved. So I'm sort of setting all this up because it's a big deal, I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, the 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 reason why it's 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 a really big deal is that it also solves 
So like when I think of a lot of the non-Bitcoin crypto, like basically like Ethereum, Solana, Avalanche, the there is like real world value that Ethereum and these smart contracting platforms provide, which is a sort of automated trustless escrow escrow system, right? So give an example. Whenever you buy a house, you or any sort of like large transaction in the finance world, you have a third party, a trusted third party, which is like an escrow. And it's a way such that neither party runs off with either party's money. So yeah. you you both deposit it into an escrow and then automatically it's like a swap, right? Like an atomic swap. Um, not to be confused with actual atomic swaps in Bitcoin, but, uh, but you get my point. So like the smart contracting platforms have real value, which is this like escrow component. And um, like in order to solve escrow, you have to solve the custody problem because you have to be able to, if you don't have the custody problem solved, then you're, you have a, a, a trusted third parties. There's a saying, which is trusted third parties are security loopholes, right? That's like the whole point of Bitcoin was to get rid of the trusted third party, which was like yeah. the bank, right? Um, so what Fediment does is it, since like the, the escrow problem is rooted in the custody problem and it's a little wonky, but like, um, it, it sort of solves that. Right. So, so I think there is a future where, you know, the same way that lightning solved payments, Fetty solves escrow and, yeah, and there's just one more thing too. Mm -hmm. There, the, like these, the reason why escrow is important is because you can build decentralized finance on top of it. Like that's like true decentralized finance, right? Like not like, not like hand wavy Silicon Valley decentralized finance, like Silic, like I'm talking decentralized finance that like, uh, people in the, in under oppressive regimes can like dependably rely on, you know, people in Nigeria and, um, Argentina and, you know, all those places. So, yeah. so you can, I think it's a, when you sort of couple these three things together, right. When you have a store value solution, plus a payment solution, plus a, uh, DeFi solution, then that's like kind of the trifecta. Like that's kind of the, that's what you need to build a new global financial system. And, um, of course it's no, it's no coincidence that, Fedi is an uh what do they call it an anagram or a it's the same letters used in DeFi, right so mm. okay so all, all, all <laughs> i didn't that. know that yeah. okay well and i think a big like piece to also understand is like you have one end of the spectrum you have yes you, you pretty much you setting up your own wallet um securely and privately potentially funding that with Bitcoin and then holding your own 24 or 12 word seed phrase. So that's one end. And then the other end is you opening up an account at Coinbase and essentially Coinbase being that trusted third party that custodies your Bitcoin or any crypto really for you. And, you know, uh, obviously Coinbase hasn't gone down, but Celsius take Celsius, right? Like third party goes down, you lose all your, your coins because, um, you are not actually holding those coins. Um, so this 
essentially tries to be somewhere in the middle, closer to the cust like the full custody side. It sounds like, um, but you know, I mean, I'm looking on their website. They're like, if you can figure out how to run your own node and custody your own funds, like you should do that. You should not use Fediment. But this is for the masses. This is solving the scalability issue um, for yeah for your grandma um, who will most likely never fully understand all of it back in. In the yeah. same way, you'd never fully understand what's going on in the bank, right? Um, totally. And, and essentially so making it where you can, like, you know, at the bank, you have to remember your, like, you have to remember your username and password, right? But if you forget it, there's, like, ways to reset it. Like, to me, right, it kind exactly. of feels like that, right? Exactly. Where it's like, yeah. if you forget your, your like, passcode, there are other ways to get into your account. Whereas if you forget your seed phrase or, you know, something happens, those funds are gone. There's no way to recover, which is really good if you're super technical, but it's also not good at all if you're not and the vast majority of people are not technical. So, yeah. Right. So the, like the, <clears throat> the point I'm trying to highlight is that at a sort of first glance, you know, on like on the surface level, this is like a custody problem. And it's like, oh, okay, it solves, it's able, I'm able to tape, you know, bear ownership over my, my Bitcoin without having to, you know, do a lot of technical know-how, but it, it's a, uh, the system itself is much more than that because it enables, it enables decentralized finance. Um, and the, the, yeah, so the way it works is like, you basically have like my, this is my understanding. I'm not, a, I'm not a specialist, but you have a, what's called a federation, which is, um, it's almost like a neighborhood. I, I would think about it. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's a group. It's a group of individuals that represent the entity. It's sort of like a, sort of like a DAO, like, right. Like a decentralized autonomous organization. It's kind of like that. Um, it's, so it's a group of trusted people that will maintain the actual underlying Bitcoin. And then they issue Chamian notes, which is, you can think of it just like a, like a dollar bill. Like it's like cash and those claim, those cash or those notes, you know, are claims over the underlying, um, reserves and, um, so yeah, and, and it increases privacy too because um you're it's sort of like a it's sort of like a coin mixer, like a coin join just sort of naturally, because you're all depositing your your coins into one place and then they're issuing Chamian notes, which are freely exchangeable. Um so so yeah, I think it's a big deal. And uh we'll see we'll see where it goes. Yeah. Like I think Okay, here's a question. Is it an app that I download? Like if we're trying to make this, if if this is, and I think this is always going to be the hardest thing for Bitcoin. If this is like something that is for the masses and scaling, um, like what is what is the three-step process to get started, I guess? You know, I've got their like getting started thing pulled up that, it, you know, it's pretty long white paper type of thing. But is there like a quick you know what I'm saying? Like similar to you go to Coinbase on the app store, you download, you make an account, you deposit some funds and you buy Bitcoin. Is there, right. you know, is there a sentence like that <laughs> that you, 
and I, I know it's like it's a uh, it's still I know it's been around, but it's all just gaining traction and stuff. So yeah, it's still it's still it's still like in a phase of like it's it's all technical jargon to kind of understand it. But um, the way that I would frame it is it's, it's just like lightning in that it's like it's like an underlying protocol that any developer is able to build a client against. So like the lightning network actually has several client implementations, right? It's not like there's like one lightning network application. There's like the, the one that's built by Blockstream. There's one that's built by um, the lightning labs company. And there's one that's built by, there's one that's kind of, it's not a full implementation like a full app but block the you know jack dorsey's company mm -hmm. uh, builds one in rust it's called rust lightning i think rust is a language by the way okay um so yeah like it'll, it'll be the same concept where the fediment is in is underlying protocol and then you know any any developer is is freely allowed to develop a uh, application that uh, that uses the protocol does this do you think it solves the elasticity problem that we've discussed with Bitcoin? I think it could be potentially uh potentially a solution for that, right? So the the problem with Bitcoin is the is the is the volatility which is induced by the fixed supply. And you can't you can't have proper credit markets without with a volatile asset. So you can't, you can't build credit markets against a volatile asset. You have to have an elastic supply asset. And um, so, yeah, potentially, potentially Fediment could, could assist in building a, an elastic supply credit unit of account. Yeah. Okay. I, it just made me think of it since like, it's, you know, the eCash, um you know the eCash iou tokens that represent the claim on the bitcoin um yeah i'm just curious if that is i mean i, I assume that it that it still has to stay like a one-to-one -one, um which is how you know doing doing the opposite of that is how we've created these very elastic markets right where yeah i mean if you were trying to solve an elastic supply problem the way it would work is you would not have a one-to-one -one redemption of the underlying reserves so people would deposit their their bitcoin and then in return get a different you know get a get a a, a deposit note a chamian note you know a bill uh, a cash instrument back which is not necessarily guaranteed to be redeemable for the same amount of underlying Bitcoin at a later date. In fact, I think, I think inevitably with a elastic supply, stable unit of account, um, credit instrument, you actually need the value to decrease over time in the same way that the over long enough time periods, you know, like the dollar goes down relative to gold. I think it's required. Hmm. But okay. um, but that's just like one, you know. It, it, that's just kind of like I'm not saying that's what Fediment is for, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, like like what Fediment solves is the trust problem of 
in like an organization, like some technology, this is where like it gets kind of hand wavy and difficult to really pin down, but some technology can only exist, you know, on the organizational level. Like it's not like it can exist on an individual level. Um, and so that's like what the fediment protocol will, will solve. I, I think, I mean, that's my understanding of it. That's I'm sort of naive here, but that's my understanding of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it seems like to me, it's adding one more layer of optionality. Um, like if I go back to gold, right, you've got one end of the spectrum is you hold your own gold in like your house. And the other end of the spectrum is you give that to the central bank um, or some big, you know, institution. And then this is like a solution where maybe there is a vault um, in the center of your neighborhood where 50 people have keys, but some collection of them have to, um, you know, put those keys in together to actually do certain things. That's exactly right. It's just a, okay. it's a, tr it's a trust minimization solution. It's a, it's a solution which recognizes that trust has value in and of itself and tries to, you know, offers a set of options to, to, um, throttle the trust up or down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It localizes, it localizes Bitcoin, which is right. actually really cool. Um, okay. One other question that I just wanted to throw out. Um, I know we didn't talk about any of these, so if you don't have an answer, it's okay. Um, are there any like pitfalls that either you have thought about or like heard some people, um, at least like bring up as like, Hey, here's something that we need to think through. Cause this might be a problem with Fediment specifically. Yeah. You're never going to get around. See like, so so what's the side chain that Blockstream runs? Liquid. You know, like the Liquid, Liquid Network is a Bitcoin side chain, which is a sort of like a smart contracting blockchain, which doesn't have a native unit. It uses Bitcoin, which is pegged in and out of it. Um, you can think of it like Ethereum, but with no ETH, it uses Bitcoin. Okay. Um, so, so the Liquid Network actually uses this federation technology and you know the blockstream is actually credited with the creation of this this technology and um like paul paul sork of uh you know truthcoin which i think we've talked about him before um he's a, he's a bitcoiner who i can link his information in the show notes he does a lot of really interesting work um the bip 300 guy yeah, BIP 300 and 301, exactly. Um, he he makes this, you know, he'll, he'll make the argument that Liquid is not a reliably decentralized technology because you're always going to have to depend on the Federation to move the funds in and out of, right? And this is like where it gets sort of like, everybody has their own opinions. So I'm just going to give mine. And my opinion is that like some problems require some degree of trust. Like there is no way to, you're sort of living in a, a fantasy land. If you think that 
you know, trust can be totally eliminated. Um, so like, you know, my opinion is that like, you can't, you can't scale, uh, decentralized finance without the admission of some degree of trust. And actually what you want to do is create a free market of trust uh, options. Mm. So it's not, it's not like you have one, um, specific protocol or one specific, um, application, which is like trusted, what you want is like a, you know, a thousands of them and then let the free market sort of determine which is the most trustless. Um, yeah. Plus with the local communities, it spreads the risk so much better. You know, if Coinbase were to go down, think about how, how much that would set back the entire industry because it's such a behemoth of, um, of custody, oh, totally. right? Totally. Yeah. Where if, where if it's one federation that goes down because maybe there's collusion or something like that, right? I'm just, th again, I'm just thinking through in like maybe this neighborhood kind of model. No, totally. Okay. Yeah. Like you, you could imagine the, to, to continue the, the neighborhood analogy, like, you know, it'd be very bad if, um, you know, like a local neighborhood in Chicago suddenly disappeared from the map. That would not be fun. But it would be much different if the entire city of Chicago disappeared from the map, right? Yeah. Yep. It like decentralizes uh, the nodes almost, right? Yeah, totally. There's something in um, distributed systems called, um, oh shoot, what's it called? So there's there's a type of ship, like a, you know, like a shipping vessel, a boat, where they they break up the insides of the ship into cells such that like if one, let's say they hit an iceberg, like the Titanic, then one of those cells can fill up with water, but it doesn't, it, it uh, isolates the, the flood or mm. the, to, to that specific cell. Right. So it's like the ship can still stay, stay afloat, even though individual cells can, can die. Yeah. So what you're telling me is there's not one, single point of failure yeah yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> i love that well no i think that's something we should definitely dig into uh further and just kind of keep um taking a look and testing testing it out and just seeing where it goes because um i know you probably on your end you're you're well equipped to um you know pretty much fully own your own keys and feel really confident in that and then uh, probably represent the more majority of people who who are intimidated by that. And speaking from my own experience, it's like I'm, I guess, a year and eight months, something like that, into the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And I've got some hard, you know, hardware wallets, all that kind of stuff. And I still am like a little, just a little fuzzy, not super, you know, not as confident as I would like to be, if I'm being honest. And then there is still this like overhanging estate planning piece for me as well that I have not nailed down. And that is, um, it sounds like this also potentially solves. Oh, it definitely, it's, it does solve the estate planning. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so yeah, I see all sorts of entrepreneurial opportunities here. Again, mm -hmm. if, if you sort of like, if you think of the, the triad between store of value payments and DeFi, there is yeah. like a whole new world of entrepreneurial opportunity right there. Mm -hmm.
but I love that. We'll talk on air about that. I'll <laughs> save I'll save my ideas for off-air discussions. That's right. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, I think we did that's about an hour. Um uh ETH merge is set to happen this this month, is my understanding. So we'll keep an eye on that. Maybe we'll talk about that next week. Or I guess this coming week since we're late this week, this past week. So it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting next uh, two or three months. Two or three months, I think, will be very telling for a lot of the the next couple years. Yeah. Cool. Well, I hope everyone found that uh, interesting. I know we hit a lot of we were from politics all the way to new Bitcoin uh, tech. So what else can you ask for? It's a good day for me. There it is. There it is, folks. Happy Sunday. <laughs> Happy Sunday. All right. We'll talk to y'all soon. Thanks.